0: Welcome to episode 368 with my guest, Dr. Jenny Yip. We're going to uh, talk about OCD. Uh, My name is Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, The show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. it's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room. That doesn't suck. This show is part interview, uh, part listener confession via the surveys people fill out on our website. Uh, that website is mentalpod.com. Mentalpod is also the Twitter and uh, Instagram handle that you can uh, f- find us at, and the Facebook page I think is uh, slash mentalpod. I have had a pretty, for those of you that are regular listeners, uh, you know that uh, something kind of kooky happened to me, uh, or I should say I witnessed uh, two weeks ago something that was pretty uh, traumatizing, numbing. I'm not sure what the word would be, but um, I think I shared last week uh, that my therapist had said, you know, be on the lookout. Uh, You know, uh, a lot of times after people See something that's traumatizing, uh, they'll experience sadness, grief, change in sleep or appetite, irritability. So I experienced the Ill- irritability, uh, uh, about 10 days ago. And then, um, the last couple of days, I, I don't, I don't know, just this kind of, uh, oh, maybe this is the first time I use it on the show. Malaise has kind of, uh, come over me. I don't know. Maybe I'm not getting enough sleep. Uh, maybe I need to go back to ice cream. Maybe I need to shut the fuck up and read a couple of surveys. And a boy, Paul. Now oh, that's that's my mean voice, mean DJ. Yeah, he's very critical of me. He does not. He is not a fan of my work. Uh this is a struggle in a sentence survey, and this was filled out by Sad Peach, and she writes about her anxiety. A shitty friend who won't stop texting you about all the weird stuff you did last night. That is so spot on. Thank you for that. Damn, that sucks, describes her sex addiction. I feel like the sexiest person in the world leading up to sex. I feel uneasy during it, and after, I feel disgusting. A snapshot from her life, I'm getting a divorce from my husband because I'm actually a lesbian. Instead of coming out to my conservative family about being gay, I had sex with seven seven men over a month-long period to try to convince myself I'm straight. Amazingly, the sexual promiscuity did not make me straight, but I did get multiple STDs at the same time. You can save money if you do that, but you have to know in advance that they're coming. Otherwise, when you check out at the counter, um, they're they're going to charge you for each STD. This is uh, filled out. This is an awful some moment filled out by uh, Angel. And uh, she writes, when I was 18 and still living at home, I got into a minor car accident, just a fender bender, no injuries, but it still upset me. Later that same day, my parents were having company, and I was to join them for dinner. About an hour before the guests arrived, my mom looked at me emotionlessly and said, You look traumatized. Go put on some makeup. Thank you for that. Logan describes his depression. I have to act like a person among other people today, and it feels like that entails doing a tap dance, wearing ice skates on a floor of bowling balls. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Thank you for that, Logan. Yeah. And maybe even bowling balls that were just handled by people who had just finished eating fried chicken with their fingers. Uh this is an awful moment as well, filled out by a woman who calls herself, I had a clever name, but then they shocked my brain. And uh, she writes, after months of severe depression, constant suicidal ideation and multiple different treatments, including repeated hospitalizations, outpatient programs, two courses of ECT, which is electroconvulsive therapy, also what used to be known as shock treatment, and lots and lots of therapy, I finally broke down and agreed to attend residential treatment. On my first day there, I met the therapist I would be working with. Upon walking into her office and sitting down on her couch, on her wall, I noticed a giant framed photo Of the bridge I had planned on jumping off just days before coming there. Cannot make this shit up. Thank you for that. Uh, You know, one of the things I really love about doing this show is when you guys share moments that you are able to look back and, if not laugh at, no longer cry, uh, about it's such a nice uh, respite from uh, from all the darkness. Uh, anxiety hangover describes his uh, anxiety, like someone is expecting me to be everywhere all the time. That may be one of the best descriptions of anxiety I think I've ever. Uh, for me, it would be it would be like that, and then you add on top of it. Um, not only are those People expecting me to be everywhere all the time, but when I do get to where I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to do it perfectly. And if I don't, the people who are expecting that of me are all going to talk to each other and band together and abandon me. Oh, thank you. Colorado Lobot describes... Uh, Gives us a snapshot from his life. His issues are depression, anxiety, being a sex crime victim. Um, uh, The abuser was a clergy member. Uh, And then uh, also anger and being a people pleaser. And uh, he writes, getting scared and constantly checking your watch when that old favorite safe movie, any Star Wars movie, is almost over because all that will be in the room when the credits are done are silence and you. That one hit me so hard. Oh, man, do I know that feeling when it's back to reality. Oblivion. When oblivion tapers off and reality sets back in. It is uh, like one of my favorite things in the world is sitting down and watching a movie that's like four hours long. And you get maybe 15 minutes into it and you're like, this movie is going to hold my attention for four hours and and it's going to make me feel something. It's going to, I'm going to feel connected. Uh, Any comments to make the podcast better? Uh, thank you for removing the taboo on being fucked up for me. Just hearing others talking and nodding my head when I hear exact thoughts that I've had is just so cathartic. It makes me cry uh, on the bike at the gym. Thank you, thank you, thank you um i've been think. thank you for your welcome and thank you for saying that uh i think there should be a special machine at the gym for people who cry while they're listening to podcasts and i don't know if it could be like a stairmaster that's covered in terry cloth or maybe they issue you a, a special uh absorbent helmet but let's get on that somebody get on that Um, I want to tell you, uh, about a podcast that I was a guest on that is, uh, a great show and it's, it's hosted by two, uh, really cool guys, Gabe Howard and, uh, Vincent Wales. And, uh, it's called, uh, the psych central show podcast. And it's, if you've never been to the psych central website, it's a really great, um, uh, place to learn about different diagnoses, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but their, their show is, they, they discuss obviously mental health, psychology. Uh, they have a lot of different experts on, um, and, and it's, it's definitely accessible. Sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's serious, but, um, it's, it's always interesting. And, uh, you know, for instance, um, they'll, do a, a topic like what is schizophrenia or why is sleep important? Why do adults have trouble making friends or how to work with a narcissist? So it's, it's very hands on. And, uh, I really enjoy the host and I enjoyed being a guest on there. So I just wanted to give them a, a, a little shout out and I'll put the, uh, link to their website. But again, uh, it's called uh, the psych central show podcast. Uh, so go check it out. Uh, want to, Give some love to our sponsor, our weekly sponsor, BetterHelp.com. I'm so grateful not only for their continued advertising uh, on the podcast, but the therapist that they assigned me. Um, because when I first uh, was approached, I said, "Well, I want to try one of your therapists," and you know, before I recommend uh, BetterHelp, I want to see if uh, you know if it's a good product, and it is. It is a good product. Um, That's a weird thing, a product (laughs) service. Uh, But it's online therapy. And I didn't know what to expect with online therapy. I was like, I've never done therapy video to video or, you know, over the phone or any of that. Uh, But it's great. I love my therapist. And I talk to her every week. And she is, uh, as you've heard in the last couple of uh, episodes, she is uh, highly, highly qualified. Um, And... Yeah, I just recommend it. So go to betterhelp.com slash mental. It's important you put in the slash mental so they know they came from, from here. Uh, fill out a questionnaire and then they'll match you with a betterhelp.com counselor and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if, uh, online counseling is right for you. You need to be over 18 and you can communicate more than one time a week with, uh, with your therapist. Uh, obviously depending on your schedules. Um, and you can do it through video, email, live text, chat. Phone, uh, uh, smoke signal, skywriting, um, postal <laughs> pony express. Oh, I fucked up that last joke. Anyway, they're great. I'll put the the link to that on our uh, on our website. All right, um, we're just about at the at the interview. I just have a couple more uh, uh, quick little surveys. I want you to hear. Uh, hazy snooze and depression describes her love addiction. I want you to save me from the pain I will be in when you leave me because the deep connection between us is made up by my brain. But it might be all different this time. That is so fantastic. That is so fantastic. And it speaks to the power of addiction, the fact that she still battles it, despite intellectually knowing what is going on. I mean, that is, in this episode coming up with uh, Dr. Jenny Yip uh, is another great example of the power of mental illness. She's an expert in OCD, and after having a baby, she experienced really, really intense, debilitating uh, OCD. Uh, Mermaid describes her depression Like being in a cold room and wrapping yourself in so many blankets, now you don't know how to get out. This one, describing her PTSD uh, after experiencing a hurricane. She writes, It's the sound of leaves getting ruffled by a breeze, sending me into a state of fear and emergency. It's spending a hundred plus days without electricity. It's the thought of that sky, so white, that remained for a week after the storm. It's that snapshot of naked trees and crumpled up solar panels scattered everywhere. It's not being able to know if my boyfriend is safe. It's the crippling thought that hurricane season is in a couple of months. And I am not ready to live this all over again. That is so descriptive. Thank you for that. Um, Crying, (laughs) I love this name. Crying is a good ab workout. And she describes her uh, dissociating. Like you're lying in a tent at a campsite. And you can hear people talking outside, but they're not talking to you. So you don't listen to their words and don't think of responses. It's not your conversation to have, right? Except in reality, it's someone looking directly at you, speaking directly to you, but the real you is still lying in a tent somewhere. Fuck. That has to be so... I don't even know the word for it. Disconcerting? And then finally, this is a struggle in a sentence filled out by uh, Ruthie Fudge, who is uh, gender fluid. And... uh They describe uh, their bulimia. Uh, Maybe eating a pizza cake and throwing it up will make me forget about all that dick I didn't want to suck but did anyway. And then about their depression. Bipolar 2, the Jan Brady of depression.
1: There's a part of me
0: inside that I don't want anyone to know about because it's weird and gross and lame and people will hate me. I'm here with Dr. Uh, Jenny Yip, uh, who is a clinical psychologist, and you have your PsyD, which is different than a Ph.D. Explain that to the listeners and I, me. (laughs) I I can't get grammar right. I can't get doctorates, right?
1: (laughs) Well, um, PhD is a doctorate of philosophy, that's the traditional degree that you would earn. Um, However, these days in the last half a century, there is the PsyD, which is the doctorate of psychology, which is used more for clinical practice. Mm -hmm. Um, Most psychologists today with a PhD would be more interested in research.
0: I got you. I got you. Uh, And did you specialize in something in your uh, uh, doctorate?
1: I did. I specialize in obsessive compulsive disorder. Yay!
0: (laughs) And uh, within postpartum depression or just in general?
1: No. uh, OCD itself is a pretty huge specialization and of course within OCD there are many subtypes and postpartum OCD is just one small yes. subtype yes
0: OCD is New York and then the subtypes are the
1: boroughs <laughs> that's correct you can think of it that <laughs> and way and then the
0: neighborhoods within the boroughs
1: <laughs> yes well each subtype have very many different intricacies
0: it's a fascinating fascinating uh what would you call it Uh disorder I guess yeah Mm -hmm. Um, you also uh, you have a book where you talk about perfectionism and anxiety, and yes. uh, you give tips for how people, people can deal uh, yes. with that. Uh, the other thing we want to talk about is uh, OCD, particularly uh, within postpartum depression, which I didn't even know was a thing until um, your publicist reached out to me, and I was like, oh, that sounds like a fascinating topic. <laughs> so uh, which would you prefer to talk about first?
1: Well, let's talk about postpartum OCD since... Okay. You know, you were surprised to hear of that it I even was. existed, I was. as as I would imagine many um, consumers, many mothers who are mm. suffering alone. And in fact, sadly, even many medical professionals and mental health professionals. Yeah.
0: The, the thing that I have heard about is the intrusive thoughts, although I mm-hmm. suppose that's a part of OCD, correct? Yes, yes. Okay. well,
1: the, you know, in OCD, there are two parts. You have the obsession, the O, and you have compulsions, the C. And the obsessions are the intrusive thoughts, Sensations, images that repeatedly come into your mind and are uncontrollable. These are the you know, the thoughts that make you feel like something bad will happening, it's frightening, it induces intense anxiety. And it's similar to having a nightmare that keeps replaying in your mind like a broken record. So if you can imagine never Waking up from a nightmare—that's what um, having obses- obsessions are like in OCD.
0: Well, I did live through the '70s, so that's about as close <laughs> as as close as I get. Um, it, the one that I hear uh, is the uh, the mother who so badly wants to be able to feel love for her baby, but feels disconnected from it, feels sad and has recurrent images of drowning her baby or Mm -hmm. throwing it off a balcony or having sex with it or um, talk about that.
1: Well, I mean, that sounds like postpartum OCD. It, you know, there's, the reality is there is very little information about it because it's a relatively new area of research, so there isn't even a lot of research on it. However, from the little research that exists, we know that it can occur in as many as 10 to 50% of new mothers. So that is a wow. lot. Um,
0: and a lot of them are coming forward,
1: mm, right? Actually, not. And this is the sad part. The sad part is because the thoughts are so <sighs> grotesque and so not disgusting. morally grotesque, yeah. just
0: graphically grotesque. Well,
1: it could be graphically as well as morally, because
0: I, I, I guess what I was saying was uh, um, uh, objectively they're not morally. Uh, grotesque subjectively to the person they feel grotesque. I guess what I'm trying to say is anybody out there that's listening these are not, if you're having these thoughts, these Mm -hmm. are not a comment on your morality. That's right. This is your brain what overheating or doing something. That's right.
1: Now, that is true. However, a new mother wouldn't know the difference. And I think that is why so many feel ashamed for having the thoughts. They feel um, they could be judged for having such thoughts, and therefore, they keep it to themselves, and they suffer silently.
0: And and the very thing that they should be experiencing in that moment is compassion, which is the exact opposite. Comfort. Somebody yes. saying, my God, that must be terrible. Yes. You're a beautiful person. This has nothing to do with you. This is an anima- mm-hmm. animation festival that crashed your brain. Mm-hmm. And... uh, uh
1: The reality is that motherhood, as I recently learned, (laughs) is a very judgmental space. You have so many mothers and people, um, judging each other whether you're breastfeeding or not, whether you're feeding your babies organic or not, um, whether you're, you have, you take them to daycare or you have a nanny. I mean, there's so much judgment in the motherhood world that a woman experiencing OCD, these intrusive thoughts, well, it makes sense that she would feel uncomfortable disclosing them. And, you know, there are also a lot, if you if you even go on blog forums and you read some of the comments of women who has experienced, you know, these intrusive thoughts postpartum, some will even share with you that they would disclose this information to their pediatrician or to their uh family doctors or OBGYNs during postpartum care visits and many of them have been involuntarily hospitalized that is for fear that they would be um a danger to their babies which is that which shows the lack of awareness and understanding of the existence of postpartum OCD
0: so then how do we delineate between the Andrea Yates who does actually kill her mm-hmm. children postpartum
1: and, psychosis okay mm-hmm. so
0: how does a gp or even a lay person mm-hmm. understand when this is just an animation festival in their head or right. this is this something that's going to come to fruition?
1: Well, I think to understand that, we have to first understand OCD, right? So again, you know, the O is the intrusive thoughts um, that you don't want to have that makes you feel shameful and um Anxious and gross. Feeds
0: feeds the loop, right? Yes.
1: Well, what feeds the loop is the compulsion. That's the C part. The compulsions are the things that you do in reaction to the obsessions. They are things that you do to help you feel better, to keep the bad things from happening. Um, In general, to undo the obsessions in order to gain temporary relief.
0: So kind of a distraction and a soothing
1: It could be, or it could be. Give some examples
0: so we we can get a clearer picture of. Sure. For example, typical or ones that you have heard of, obsessions, and then the compulsion coupled with. So
1: let's talk about obsessions and compulsions that are common to postpartum OCD. Um, So, common obsessive thoughts during the postpartum or perinatal period is. Fear of harm befalling your infant. Um, it could be accidental harm. It could be purposeful harm. It could be um, poisoning your child. It could be accidentally dropping your child. It could be purposely drowning your child. It could be um, molesting your child during diaper changes, any of Which these. Which is a co-
0: really common one, especially yes. for women who um, experienced uh, sexual trauma, from from sure. my understanding.
1: Sure, yes, yes, yes.
0: And it doesn't mean that they want
1: to. No. <laughs> No, and to do and, that. and that's right. the thing about OCD because the compulsion because the the thoughts don't fit with your values the thoughts don't fit with your belief in 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 your worldviews um, and therefore you have these compulsions that serve to give you some sort of relief from the obsessions the compulsions serve to undo. The obsessions. So common compulsions would be reassurance seeking from family members, your spouse, your partner, uh whether you're a bad mother, um, whether you're a bad parent. Um it could In- be inclu- checking
0: including che- uh sharing what you're what you're thinking or generally avoiding it that. It could
1: be avoiding that. Okay. Um You know, it could go either way. You could be sharing it with a close confidant, or you could be completely avoiding the topic. However, you have to realize that people with OCD are pretty savvy in their reassurance seekings. I mean, they can ask 10 different questions in different ways, all related to the same topic, in order to gain some sort of certainty. Can you give me some examples? Okay, so I can ask, well, is this room safe? And how do I know that uh, the walls aren't too thin? And uh, what about the ceilings? I mean, there are cracks in the ceilings and um, sound can go through. How do you know that the ceilings, the, our, our voices aren't going through the ceilings? Um, what if someone is right next door putting, you know, some sort of hearing device in the walls? Um, what if someone is just waiting outside a door? So you can see how it can go on and on I and see. on and on. Which
0: must be exhausting if there's a partner.
1: Very. <laughs> and having postpartum OCD can definitely interfere with. Um, family dynamics and especially your bonding with your baby. However, going back to the compulsions, um, you could be engaged in checking to make sure that your baby is safe. You could be searching the internet to see whether your symptoms mean that you're a bad person. The thing to remember is that you're doing these compulsions in order to not have the intrusive thoughts in order to get rid of the intrusive thoughts because you don't believe that they fit with you and your values.
0: If they, were, if they were exciting you, that would be a different thing, correct?
1: Sure, yes, yes, that would be a different thing. So if it doesn't fit with your values, then the likelihood of you acting on the thought is almost non-existent because you don't, you don't want to do it right? You have these thoughts that are gross and shameful and guilt-ridden, and you don't want to do it. So therefore, you're trying to get rid of the thoughts. Whereas a person with uh, postpartum psychosis, the thoughts that they have fit with their value system. They believe in the thoughts as real, as fitting their worldview.
0: Do do they fit fit in their value system outside of their Psychosis. Personality disorder or psychosis?
1: Well, they can't tell the difference. Okay. That's the thing about psychosis is that you can't tell the difference between real reality that everybody else is, that everybody else experience versus the reality that you experience. So that's the, that's like the, wow. the hallmark of psychosis. So a mother having intrusive thoughts like um I'm getting messages that, you know, um, God is telling me that if I don't drown and kill my babies, then the devil will take his soul. And therefore, in order to save my baby, I need to drown him and kill him.
0: That's so heavy.
1: And that thought is a thought that the mother would believe in as if it is a real thought. As opposed
0: to it scaring her.
1: Exactly. As opposed to, oh my gosh, why am I having this thought? What does this mean about me? What kind of mother am I for having such a thought? I want to get rid of the thought. This thought makes me feel awful as a person, as a mother.
0: So give me a couple more examples of obsessions and then the, the compulsion coupled with them. And then let's talk about Ideally, how a mother and even her partner uh, could help deal with that in a way that's healthy?
1: Well, um, I also want to say that postpartum OCD doesn't just occur to the mother. We, in our, our research has shown that even fathers experience postpartum OCD. So the question is, well, how can a partner, male or female, Um, support the other and for anyone out there who's experiencing postpartum OCD male or female the most important thing to understand is that this is like your brain farting because Mm -hmm. (laughs) the thoughts are are not a production of something that is real. Just because you have a thought, it doesn't mean that you're going to act on it. It doesn't mean that um, the thought has any weight or substance. In fact, the reality is that many parents, many new parents, experience intrusive thoughts during the postpartum perinatal period. However, the Difference between a person without OCD that experiences the intrusive thought is that this person can have the thought and go, Oh, well, that was silly and be able to move forward and not, not magnify it to any degree to give it more power. Whereas the person with OCD will have a thought and go, oh my goodness, what in the world does that mean? And as soon as you do that, you're giving value and credence to the thought, which gives it more power and makes it more um, bigger than what it needs to be.
0: The difference between the two, is it usually just uh, emotional education that uh, that one person will react one way and the other will react another way just that the, that one person realizes this is just my brain farting mm-hmm. um because they have been educated that that is a thing um well
1: uh, no it's it it's not it doesn't have to do with education I mean and I don't mean
0: classical you went to school, but yeah. I mean knowing the facts about it
1: well, the difference is that those of us without OCD just don't give as much value to the thoughts that they have they come and they go and they're just thoughts I see whereas a person with OCD depending on what is significant or important to them will give value and weight to the thoughts that might mean something negative about them and therefore it grows and becomes more powerful
0: what, what what does the uh, – don't let me cut you off. What, finish your thought.
1: Oh, I was just going to say that even, um, you know, that is a main differentiator between people without OCD in the general population and yeah. those who do have regular OCD.
0: And so what does the science suggest is behind this? Is this a genetic thing? Is it a chemical thing? Is it
1: uh, – That's the, that's the million-dollar question, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we what we do know is that research is indicating from all of the neuroimaging study that there is a, a messenger in the brain that's called the serotonin that is going haywire in your brain. And there is a communication error from the front part of your brain to the deeper limbic system
0: of the brain. It so often seems like that's where the fuck-up is, is between the, amyg- <laughs> the amygdala and the prefrontal All cortex. Of
1: All of that, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So, you know, we know that is one of the problems. Now, we also know that genes play a role. So do, So does the environment, though, because from twin studies... Just because you have one twin that has OCD doesn't necessarily mean that the other twin will 100% also have OCD. So we know that even though genetics play a big role, because even in twin studies, there's a higher risk factor for the other twin to also have OCD. It's not 100%. So because of that, we know that there are environmental Um, influences as well. Environmental influences can be a stressor. It could be, um, a brain, an infection that a person has that, you know, switches a certain genes on or off. Um, epigenetics is a fascinating area right now where, you know, we know just because you have certain genes, it doesn't mean that those genes will turn on or off. Depending on what happens in the womb, you know, your your environment, um, the, the hormones that go through into the womb from the mother, I mean, all of that has an influence. So do we know exactly what is the cause? No, we, we don't know. <laughs> yeah.
0: So ideally, how would you suggest someone handle this when they begin experiencing it?
1: Well, the very most important thing is to know that your thought is a thought is a thought. Just because you have the thought, it doesn't make the thought real. In fact, we all have negative, horrible thoughts. It doesn't make us horrible people. So we have the thought doesn't mean you'll act on it. And the most important point to understand is that during you know the postpartum period, the goal is to be able to bond with your baby and if you have these intrusive um, thoughts as well as repetitive compulsive behaviors that are interfering with that bonding process, and if you are sanitizing bottles, um, washing, cleaning, checking your baby at the expense of your sleep, which is already deprived to begin with during this period, then it's really important to seek help. Because again, you have to prioritize what the important thing is right now. And it's not about judgment from other parents or other mothers, who the fuck cares about them, right? the important point here is that you prioritize yourself and your baby and you do what's necessary to make that happen. And if that means seeking out a professional who can help you, then that's what you do. Because, you know, the treatment is very, very effective. It's short term, it's called cognitive behavior therapy, and more specifically exposure and response prevention therapy. And I had to do it myself for my own postpartum OCD experience, which was horrible and torturous. What a
0: perfect time for you to share your story. Yes. If you're yes. comfortable.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, um, uh, you know, I've battled OCD since the age of four. So I'm very, very, very familiar with OCD. Um, I come from a family with many members with OCD and in, in Grad school, I kind of just knew that I would um, treat people with OCD because in the 70s and 80s, growing up with OCD, there wasn't much information on it. Um, nobody knew what to do with me. Pediatricians, therapists, nobody knew what to do with me, and I suffered for, for a very long time. How and did it,
0: how did your OCD present itself?
1: Uh, washing was the worst. Um, I would wash, I mean, start out with just hand washing and then to showering routines and, It had to have a sequence of what had to happen first, second, third. If the sequence was ruined, I'd have to redo the whole showering process. I mean, I remember later on in my late 30s, my parents, you know, would say, well, if only we had given you our our water bill, maybe that would have stopped you. (laughs) And I I said, yes, you're right. It probably would have stopped me from (laughs) showering so much. Um so in my early teens and hold, hold
0: that thought for one mm-hmm. second. Was there a thought that that the compulsion was trying to distract you from?
1: No. The the obsession was it I, I just wanted to be clean.
0: You you felt germ germy, germy. I mean, okay.
1: I, I didn't want to get sick. Um um, maybe give you, giving you a little bit more background. I was born with heart disease, and therefore I spent the first five years of my life m- mainly living out of hospitals. Oh no! So I think that probably added to the fear of um, you know contamination and germs and whatnot. However, I mean OCD morph itself you know over time so something that starts small over time becomes more intricate more complicated and you know, you know the way that I that I describe it to my patients it's like having a web of various um, rules that you have to follow. And if you don't follow these rules, then something bad might happen. And you don't want that uncertainty. So you do what's necessary to make sure that the bad thing doesn't happen.
0: And, and can sometimes the uh, ominous thing just be a general feeling that, that chaos will ensue? Oh, I-
1: yes, it could be just a feeling that it's just not right. It doesn't feel right and therefore I have to do what's necessary to feel right. Um so, you know, my teens I was washing and then later on it got to symmetry and exactness. I remember my sixteenth birthday party. I was three hours late to my sixteenth birthday party, and by the time I actually got there half of the people had already left my party. Wow. Um so it was it was Just- pretty bad to
0: techn- technically your 16.03 birthday party
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes yes you can put this it that is way my
0: lame my lame attempt to <laughs> inject humor wherever possible um, so so then
1: so um, in, you know so i knew i was going to go into treating people with ocd And as I became a specialist and, um, you know, treated women with postpartum OCD, kids with OCD, worked with families with OCD, I just never realized that I would be debilitated by OCD again. I never realized that OCD would surface again. I just thought I'm done.
0: (laughs) I know about it. I know know about
1: it. I'm an expert in it. I know what to do. This thing will never get to me again. And lo and behold, in my weakest moments with sleep deprivation, OCD reared its ugly head again.
0: What a testament to the power of mental illness. It's like you know somebody is a convicted liar, <laughs> and you believe them.
1: Right, right, That's, right.
0: That, I mean, to me, that means there has to be a chemical mm-hmm. element. Yes. It would, uh, yes. the, the precision, What? give me some examples of, of the preciseness uh, compulsion that you had.
1: Well, my postpartum OCD was a lot more creative than it ever had been. Um, Well, that's a (laughs) plus. Which made it much more difficult to recognize. Yeah. So I had twins, and my OCD fear was that I would love one twin more than the other and in some weird OCD way, would cause harm to their emotional development over time. So um, my compulsions were anything from making sure that whatever I did for one twin was exactly the same as the other twin. So if I fed the twin... Breastfed, of course, for those judgmental mothers out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I breastfed one twin a certain amount of time, I had to make sure that I breastfed the other baby a specific amount of time. And
0: then would you switch up who breastfed first so that one yes. didn't feel left yes. out? Because oh, yes. that's what I was sitting here oh, thinking. Yes. Like,
1: Not yes. only that, but you know, it becomes so complicated. It's like, well, how do you even measure the amount of milk that comes out you know this, right. this one breast produced more than the other and and you know um, how, do you, how do you calculate all of that so it became very very intense um, scrubbing bottles am I scrubbing exactly the same way for one twin versus the other um, diaper changes is it exactly the same way am I bathing them exactly the same way
0: and in that moment were you recognizing that this is OCD I don't
1: know What? No, I did not recognize it was OCD till a few weeks later. I mean, OCD, uh, it it, it came like out of nowhere and it came within the first week um, after giving birth. Um, But the most exhausting part I recall, I remember right now, is at the end of each night, I had to compare the type of thoughts, the content to the thoughts, my emotional reaction to each of the thoughts, comparing and contrasting the thoughts of, for one twin versus the other. And that was by far the most exhausting part of the, of the disease because I mean, something that I'm doing physically, it's easier to measure. However, how in the world do you compare the thoughts that you have for one boy versus the other? That's what
0: Excel is for.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If I had time to type it all in, I probably would have. Oh, my God.
0: Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) So I drove myself insane um, and cried a lot and then realized that, uh, yeah, this isn't postpartum depression, it's not postpartum blues, um, and it was OCD. And once I realized that, then it was almost like suddenly the weight dropped, and the the power and the value of the thoughts, of the intrusive thoughts, decreased dramatically. So that was my start um, to... So-
0: so is it technically called postpartum OCD, not postpartum depression OCD?
1: No, no, oh, okay. no. In fact, you know, a lot of women are misdiagnosed with postpartum depression where they actually have postpartum OCD.
0: Can the two go hand in hand?
1: Oh, of course. I mean, okay. I was definitely depressed at that point for not, you know, um, feeling the bliss that you're supposed to have during mm. this period um i was feeling depressed about having these intrusive thoughts of my boys um fearing that something might happen to them if i wasn't doing enough um it was it was pretty intense
0: and was there a partner there mm-hmm. in, and how did they react
1: uh, my husband was just as supportive as he can be um However, it's really hard to understand the experience of OCD unless you actually have it. You know, I think if I think back to all of the movies or um, jokes that the media has about OCD, um, the media... You know makes it as a quirky behavior mm-hmm. that's just funny and um, you know how many times have you had a friend who says oh that's just ocd that's just my ocd or i'm just so ocd and some people have absolutely no idea the the prison that you live in when you have ocd and a, a,
0: and a lot of people f- Uh, I think, look at somebody with OCD and think that person just lacks logic. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they understand that it's... It's uh,
1: not logic at all, because a person with these intrusive thoughts and these silly behaviors um, understand that it's irrational. They, They realize that what they're doing doesn't make sense, that what they're doing is excessive, is... However, they just can't help it.
0: And is it because the feeling is so powerful in them Mm -hmm. that it feels like they would, you know, to give in, to do nothing about that feeling Mm -hmm. um, would be terrifying. Yes. More terrifying than continuing the exhausting compulsion schedule.
1: Yes. So, for example, um, you know, for me it wasn't it, you know was fearing that i would be treating the twins differently however like most parents with postpartum depression one of my biggest fears was that one of them could die or both of them could die and i remember one of the things that i had to do i mean there's so much information about sids out there and there's actually so much technology to prevent sids that you know well that's a different a conversation, yes. um, you know.
0: For th- those that don't know, SIDS is sudden infant death syndrome.
1: Yes, yes, which yes. is like the
0: nightmare of every newborn yes. new new parent. New
1: parents, right? Um, and the the I, I remember. I remember that I had to put my hands on each child's chest to make sure that they were breathing because seeing them breathe, hearing them breathe just wasn't enough. And the thought of them dying was unbearable. So to prevent the thought, I had to keep checking. At the expense of sleeping, which is insane in and of itself because you're already sleep-deprived. However, the thoughts are so strong and the feeling is so intense that you can't help it. So in order to prevent the uncertainty, that something might happen to your child, you go and you check, and you check, and you check, and you check, because checking once is never enough for OCD. And OCD thrives on uncertainty and doubt. So it makes you feel that you have to be certain. That your child is breathing, and you cannot be away from your child because if you go away and your child stops breathing and it's something that you could have prevented, then
0: you won't be able to live with yourself. You wouldn't
1: be able to live with yourself, right? So, guess what the treatment is though? If O C D thrives on uncertainty and doubt, the treatment is to expose yourself to that uncertainty and doubt. So
0: You surround yourself with dead infants.
1: <laughs> well, um that could be one way. Although really you,
0: low budget therapy.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Um
0: That's how I
1: deal. Right. That's how I
0: deal with when I get uncomfortable.
1: Right. Um, So the treatment is exposure and response prevention. And what this means is that you are exposing yourself, confronting to your fears in a gradual manner so that you can realize that your fear doesn't actually have any substance. And if your fear doesn't have any substance, then there is no point in engaging in any compulsive behaviors. Because if your fear doesn't have weight, then the compulsions don't serve a purpose. And that is what exposures are and response prevention is basically learning to break ocd rules to the point where the compulsive behaviors are weakened and i had to go through my own torturous exposures where i had to accept that i can't prevent uncertainty that Anything might happen to my children. I had to accept the uncertainty that they might die before I do. I had to visualize all of the possible ways that they could die before I do and um,
0: that was part of the of the intended process yes, of exposure yes that must have been. That was emotionally wrenching.
1: <laughs> that was hell. I mean, I can speak of it now, um, without so much emotional reaction to it because I've done my exposures. And exposures, it's kind of like, you know, if you if you repeat any thought for a prolonged period of time, the thought loses its meanings. It actually becomes boring. Even though initially it's very powerful, however, if you keep thinking the exact same thought, it loses its power. So I had to go through my own torturous exposures that I've you know prescribed to many of my patients at the Renewed Freedom Center. Um and over time, and it took a while, the thoughts have had less and less and less power and substance.
0: Describe if you can what it felt like in your body when it was at its worst and your body, both your body and your, and your, um, uh, your emotions when it was at its worst and then compare it to when you felt like I'm, I'm starting to feel free from this I'm always interested to know what physiologically is going on in people I find it so fascinating
1: for me it felt like I was stuck in a black hole and it was doom and there was no way out there's no light at the end of the tunnel it was just complete darkness hopelessness helplessness and Was it an,
0: an empty feeling inside you?
1: Not necessarily empty. Maybe the exact opposite of emptiness.
0: Overwhelmed? Completely
1: of. overwhelmed. Um, it was hard for me to look at my babies without having horrible thoughts that I might lose them. It was like... I better save or I better save every single moment. I better collect every single one of my memories. I better make the best of the times that I do have with them because who knows? They could be taken from me at any time.
0: Was there sadness in there as well?
1: Absolutely. So
0: sadness, anxiety, sadness, panic,
1: anxiety, panic, doubt, doubt, shame. hopelessness, fear. Um Shame, not so much for me, um, because you know I I know that thoughts are thoughts are thoughts. Mm. However, thoughts can be powerful. Yeah. Um. So not so much shame and guilt. Dread. You know, dread. Dread facing the day, waking dread. up. Dread. No, I couldn't wait to wake up and be with my boys. It was dread having to go to sleep to be away from my boys ah. and the uncertainty of what might happen if I was asleep and not there to save them for, from whatever catastrophe that might happen.
0: Did you, when you were going through the exposure therapy and it was the the scariest of the scary things, imagining what it would be like if they died were any connections made um between you and your past or was it um not something that is typically included uh in it
1: no i mean ocd can be triggered from past traumas it could be triggered from um you know a catastrophic moment or a perceived catastrophic moment mm. from your past. However, um, OCD gains power over whatever you care about in the moment. Say that so, again. OCD gains power from whatever you care about in the moment. I see. In this moment. So, so if, if it- this very moment you care about, your body image, because you're auditioning to be a Victoria's Secret model, then you might end up having, you know, body image obsessions and compulsions. Um, Which is why, you know, with postpartum OCD, the common obsessions and compulsions are related to harm, befalling your infant because you have this over-sense of responsibility. And this is true for all new parents. You have this over-sense of responsibility for this new innocent life who is completely dependent on you. And whatever you do will determine what happens to this innocent
0: It sounds so much uh, so similar to hypervigilance.
1: It is hypervigilance in a sense. Yes, because what is hypervigilance? Hypervigilance is when you're hyper-focused on something. For those of us with anxiety, OCD, that something is potential threat to your well-being. And therefore, your fight-or-flight alarm turns on and it's almost like you have these antennas that go up and it is searching for potential danger. Mm. Well, the thing is, if you are looking for threats, you're going to find it. Oh yeah. Right? So therefore. If you're paying attention. Yes. Well, <laughs> well, that's, that's what, you know, your firefly response will do. It's going to increase your awareness. It's going to increase your, your alertness and therefore your, your, brain will start looking for these threats.
0: It's it's like it takes everything you love and it turns it into glass. Yes. You better be careful. That's
1: right. That's right.
0: Do you think it's a vestige of... Us needing our amygdala more when when we were uh, you know cave people,
1: <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> and now it's just spinning. It's like you know, come on, man, let the clutch out, let's go.
1: Well, I mean, unless we can examine the brains of cave people, I don't know that we can make that you know distinction. Um, I'm sure that there's a people few in the political then.
0: arena <laughs> <laughs> that we might be able to.
1: Well, I'm sure that people back then had their own. Um, fears, you know, I think the difference is that today, the fears that we have aren't as warranted. And yet, you know, your limbic system is a very, very old uh, brain structure or structures. And therefore, um, we still carry on and hold on to those uh, fears that don't really serve a purpose in today's world.
0: Anything else that you'd like to uh, touch on? um, Oh, uh, and and then share when you finally felt like you were free of it. Share if you would, internally and physiologically, uh, if you can recall what you remember feeling.
1: Sure. Um, You know, I think the main difference was that I wasn't bonding authentically with my boys um, when I had postpartum OCD. Um, everything that I did was in service of OCD. It was in order to make sure something bad didn't happen. And when I was finally able to to gain some breathing room, I was able to bond with my boys for the sake of bonding. It was authentic. It was genuine. I was with them without any interference of intrusive mm-hmm. thoughts, without any uh, need to obey certain rules in order to make sure nothing bad would happen. So I think that's the biggest It's difference. striking
0: how similar it is to codependency you know because codependency so often comes from a place of emptiness and fear
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and feeling like I'm a terrible person if I don't mm-hmm. do this thing that I really don't want to do but I feel obligated to do it whereas if you you're you enjoy your life and you're filled with self-love it's you're giving right. from a place of abundance right
1: yeah. absolutely and you know what the it, it's very similar to family members who have a loved one with OCD, right? Because OCD doesn't just affect you. It affects the entire family system. And therefore, if you have OCD, you, your compulsions would definitely involve another family member. Whether you are avoiding opening the doors and therefore you have a family member opening the doors for you or you are seeking reassurance. Is it okay for me to touch this? Is it is a knife okay for me to hold? Am I a bad person? It will definitely involve another person. Now, if you can imagine Compulsions, remember, it's not just one. One is never enough. So you have to repeat it again and again and again. And if your loved one is involved in those compulsions, can you imagine how overwhelmed the loved Mm, one would be? And resentful. And resentful. And exhausted. And exhausted, exactly. So, you know, family members have to understand that in order to support your loved one, you have to differentiate supporting the sufferer versus supporting OCD. Talk is about what, that. Well, is what, well, is opening the door helping the loved one or helping OCD get stronger, right? In order for a person to recover from OCD, to, um, Reduce their OCD fears. It means that you have to disobey OCD's rules. It means that you have to resist the compulsions, meaning that if OCD is telling you to don't open that door, mm-hmm. then what is it that you have to do? Open that open door. The door. And then the loved one will have to let you open that door. Now, of course, all of this is much easier said than done.
0: Oh, man. Because... it's uh, I'm getting anxious just imagining two people that live together and mm-hmm. the partner living through watching their partner just uh, suffer mm-hmm. and knowing that it's for the best ultimately. But... There's got to be gray area in there where you want to support them, but you don't want to enable them. Of I mean, course. Th- th- talk about of course. that. That's...
1: So, So, you know, if if the goal is to let the person open a door, it means that you have to sit with your own discomfort, right? Because that's what we're asking the sufferer to do, to sit with your discomfort, expose yourself to the fear, confront your fear, and not follow OCD's rules. So that you learn, your brain learns that you don't have to do any of these rules. By doing nothing, anxiety has to dissipate on its own. So of course, like I said, it's all easier said than done. So what that means is, let's say that you have a couple And you have dinner reservations at 7 p.m. That's a little
0: late, but go ahead.
1: Okay, 6 p.m. That's better. (laughs) However, you have one partner who can't get out of the door. And, of course, it's just much easier. Let's say, you know, it's it's, uh, 5.30 now. You guys need to leave the house. So, of course, it's just much easier to just open the damn door, right, so that you guys can get on your way. Except if you are committed to supporting your partner, the thing to do would be to, well, I guess dinner isn't important. And therefore, let's just cancel dinner until you can open this door. Or let's just see if, you know, we can um, open the door halfway. So maybe uh, let's... Take a tissue paper, you, I'll let you use the tissue paper, touch the doorknob to open the door. However, then I want you to hold on to that tissue paper so that the tissue paper is still on you if it's for contamination reasons. Um, now, it's easier with an adult. However, what if you have a child? And let's say you're at the grocery store and the child refuses to open the door and the child ends up having a meltdown at the grocery store and is tantruming at the grocery store. As a parent, your job is to be present with your child. Are
0: there kids that don't have tantrums at grocery stores?
1: (laughs) Well, there are some kids who don't have tantrums at grocery stores, sure. Um, However, just because a child has tantrums, it doesn't mean that child is a bad child. Um, and a child might actually have fears and OCD, yes. right?
0: So, I'm sorry, I got you off track. Go ahead. Go That's back. okay.
1: Um So as a parent, your job is to be present with your child. Show your child that you understand how hard it is. However, you can't do the job for the child. You can't do the work for the child. And the two of you will sit there and... um be there until the child feels capable of opening that door.
0: I would imagine that the manner in which you do that is incredibly important that you be patient and compassionate and, and not show irritation.
1: Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, I mean, if there are any parents or family members with a loved one suffering from OCD, where it is keeping the person from functioning, from going to school, from going to work, from engaging in social activities or hobbies that they previously enjoyed, you would want to find a therapist who has experience treating OCD with exposure and response prevention therapy, and um, who can help you set up these goals. Because what you don't want is a parent to go, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm not supposed to be opening this door for you. And therefore, you're just going to have to open it yourself. Well, no, you don't do it like that you know and in family sessions you make a plan and everyone agrees to that plan (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then you go about to do the exposures you have to learn how to do exposures um, and then most of all, you have to be patient. You have to be willing to cancel plans. You have to be willing to be late to things. You have to be willing to even leave your child behind if your child is refusing to leave the house. So these are all important factors that a therapist will walk you through and will guide you through.
0: So it sounds like you're you're separating the person from the illness.
1: Yes, absolutely. The person is not the illness and you have to realize that what you're doing have to serve the best interests of the child. Not yeah. yourself, not your insecurities, not your discomfort from watching the child in t- you know having a tantrum. Um What is in the best interest of this child? That is the question that I think all parents need to be asking in anything they do. Is what I'm doing in the best service of the child? Hint, hint, helicopter parent. (laughs)
0: Uh, you're not meaning that in a good way, are you?
1: Oh, that's a different okay. topic for a better okay. <laughs> time.
0: Uh, well, I, I'm uh, surprised at at how much uh, there was to to talk about this. I I didn't think uh, this would be as expansive and uh, enlightening uh, as it is. So, well, thank you so much. I'm glad. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your personal uh, story. That was really touching, and I appreciate you um, opening up about that.
1: Well, I hope that give some hope to many more women who feel like they might be judged negatively, that there's actually help out there. And the thoughts that you have, the experiences that you have is not uncommon. And it's not shameful. And again, who the hell cares about what other people think?
0: I do, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Well. (laughs) Uh, People can find you where?
1: Uh, They can find me on my website, which is uh, www.renewedfreedomcenter.com.
0: Okay, we'll put links to this uh, up on the website. And uh, we didn't get to talk about perfectionism, we'll we'll save that for another uh, episode. which is my way of saying you have no choice. You're coming back. Uh, <laughs> I'd but, be happy to. But, but what is the name of uh, the book about it's, perfectionism it's and anxiety? It's called
1: Productive Successful You mm-hmm. and Procrastination by Making Anxiety Work for You.
0: Great. Uh, we'll put a link up for that as well. And um, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Man, what a great guest. That was so informative and and, uh, and moving. Um, and a great example too that therapists are human beings. A lot of times I think we put them on this pedestal, um, and think, you know, oh, they won't be able to relate to me because they got it all figured out. Um, before I take it out with some surveys, I want to remind you guys that there's a couple of different ways to support the podcast. If you feel uh, so inclined, you can support us financially uh, because we really depend on uh, on you helping us and we can always use uh, more funds to help keep the podcast going. Um, you can make a one-time PayPal donation through our, uh, there's a link on our website, uh, or you can become a recurring monthly donor through Patreon, and then I can reward you with occasional bonus content or silly little things from my life. Occasionally, I'll have a raffle uh, for uh, monthly donors. Um, and uh, all of this is on the on the website. You can um, help us out non-financially by going uh, on social media and spreading the word about the podcast. That's a really, really big way to help you. Um, because advertising uh comes and and goes and but uh having monthly donors that consistent base uh helps me sleep at night and you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month recurring donation no no donation is is too small um i know there's probably another. oh you can also buy uh t-shirts we have some really cool t-shirts um we have ones with the logo the show's logo on it we have some with sayings from the show we have one that has a picture of uh, my late dog herbert and it says saint herbert and it has like my favorite picture of him on it um all right let's get to some surveys this is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by dead girl walking and she writes about uh depersonalization and derealization she writes uh, It makes it seem like my reflection is a Picasso painting. And then she gives a snapshot. Moments ago, I was examining my face in the mirror. As I looked at myself from different angles, I swore I felt like I was staring at a stranger. Each swivel of my neck transformed me into a different, odd-looking creature. I am so detached from myself. I don't even know what the fuck I look like. Looking back at old selfies, I don't even know who that bitch is either. She's kind of cute, though. Thank you for that. This is a happy moment filled out by uh, Mermaid, and these are actually a um, little kind of sublime uh, loves of of hers. Uh, she writes, uh, looking down at my watch at work and realizing there are only ten minutes left on my shift, putting that last period on the essay essay I procrastinated because it gave me anxiety. Uh, when the sky gets the blue mixed with oranges and purples. When the lady at the coffee shop remembers, I like almond milk on my morning cup. That time my coworker walked in on me, passing in an, ang- an anxiety attack inside the meat freezer, and he didn't laugh or look at me wrong, just asked me what he could do to make it better. Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, and then anything that proves my brain wrong since it's so persistent on the thought that I'm not enough. Thank you for that. I uh, My shrink has me cutting back on my dose of Wellbutrin, And um, I, I feel like I'm talking slower and uh, just a little bit spacey. I don't know if you guys can tell, but I just feel like I'm just a little bit off. Uh, this was filled out by a woman who calls herself Don't You Care and about her love addiction. She writes, dying inside because I know I'll never be happy in this relationship but hiding it behind a smile and saying, I love you first because he might leave me if he suspects Uh, about her OCD, quickly cleaning and putting away the kitchen knives after preparing dinner in case I lose control and accidentally stab my boyfriend. I love too, that those two are right next to each other. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Just Josh. Uh, This is kind of a heavy one. Um, he, he struggles, suffers, uh, with, uh, depression, anxiety, sex addiction, and anger issues. And a snapshot from his life, he writes, uh, I want my wife to watch as I hang myself so she can see my pain. And, um, you know, Josh, I, I just want to say, number one, I'm sorry that you're in so much pain. And, um, it, I, I, I can't imagine what it feels like from what you're describing. I've never, I've wanted to die before, but I've never wanted what you describe. And the first thought that occurred to me when I read this was, his wife should know that he's in pain. And if she can't handle a partner expressing their feelings, um then you're worthy of better than a partner who can't empathize with you. Um, And of course, you have a responsibility to her to work on yourself, uh, but she also has a responsibility uh, like you to work on herself and both of you to work on your relationship. And it's so easy to just sweep shit under the rug and go to our addictions and our life gets small and we isolate and we just pile on the shame and then the the you know compulsive behaviors to try to numb the shame and it's a vicious cycle that just push pushes us closer and closer to the brink and i've lived it it's no way to live um i really really recommend uh couples counseling or um even individual counseling um if you haven't gotten help yet for your addictions that's a great place to start as well But sending you some love, man. This is a happy moment filled out by Rachel, and she writes, uh, Right now. Right now, I'm sitting at the kitchen table that belonged to my grandparents with my crochet tools and yarn, learning from a book I got to borrow from a library that is just a 10 minute walk away. I just finished eating a nourishing veggie soup my sister made for me after putting my two kids under the age of five to bed all by myself. I did not yell at them once today. I did not get a break until now, and I did it all without alcohol. I feel so fucking accomplished today. In the moments when I was tested with a child spitting at me or hitting me, I just breathed and repeated how kind we need to be to each other. And it worked. I have worked so very hard to get to this table today. I've been through outpatient programs, a hospitalization, a suicide attempt, and a few different cocktails of medications. And here I am, seemingly on the right cocktail of meds and working with the skills I've learned. Motherfucker. I feel like Wonder Woman with a gentler version of the hot bod. Softer, if you will. That was beautiful. Thank you for that, Rachel. And I love how you included your the work that you put in, that you didn't just wait for your life to get better, that you had a moment of clarity, that you needed to put effort into it to be able to cope and have a large life, which clearly you do. And uh, that is just a, a shining example to me of the payoff when we're committed to getting better. Uh, This is (laughs) filled out by a woman who calls herself Not Paul, and she describes um, her depression, a snapshot of it. Even though I just got a new job, I sit in the dark parking lot thinking, what's the point to any of this? Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. I think so many of us have had that feeling. I remember washing dishes one time when my depression was at its worst and just thinking this dish is just going to be dirty again this is just a ridiculous cycle of hassles and the only thing that took me out of it was drinking and i knew that was making me more suicidal and uh lo and behold i discovered that uh actually life can be enjoyable Sitting and wishing it would be better never did anything uh, for me. And so I had to suffer for a good oh, 12, 13 years until I could no longer deny that it wasn't working my way. But uh thank you for sharing that. And um I think a lot of people feel that way that you shared, especially if they work in advertising. <laughs> uh this is an awfulsome moment from Skewered Tits. And she writes, uh, uh, Alexa, I want to die. Long pause. Alexa, sorry, your Echo Dot just lost its connection. <sighs> oh, you can't make it up. You can't make it up. And then finally, this is happy moment from Graveyard Cat. Uh, who is gender fluid and they write it's raining out. I'm sitting in my apartment which is above a barn full of horses. This has always been my dream. My abuser not only doesn't live here, she doesn't have my address. It feels like this safe haven and it is clean because my depression has lifted enough for me to tidy up and dust. I'm at my laptop getting work done that I will get paid for because I'm in a place where I can be productive. My beloved 12-year-old dog is snoring on the couch. My older cat is curled up on my lap purring. My wild child of a kitten, who I love endlessly, comes parading into the room with a prize in her mouth, a cat toy she found under the bed that's probably been there for months, and drops it at my feet. I am so overwhelmed by how good this feels to me, how peaceful, how everyone's needs are met, how I've actually made some progress in my life, how how I've earned the trust of all of these animals who came from tough places, that my eyes fill with tears and I stop what I'm doing to come fill this survey out. <laughs> Thank you for that. Man, Ivy has been so sweet lately when I've been going to back to uh, my ex's house to uh, let her out and, um, it's so weird, though, because I can never just fully experience being present with, with her. She's 14 without also projecting into the, what her death is going to look like and what it's going to feel like. And just dreading the heartache uh, after uh, after Herbert in uh, May of last year. Anyway, enough. let's end on an up note for fuck's sake. Um. Thank you guys for filling out your surveys. To anybody uh, who's out there struggling, um, never forget that while the circumstances of your life may seem unique, the feelings that you are experiencing and maybe feeling overwhelmed by are not. They are universal and you are not alone and help is there. It just takes getting out of your comfort zone and asking for it. And if it doesn't work out, keep trying because you will eventually find the help Not only that you need, but that you deserve so that you can become the authentic you that's always been there. And uh, that's it. That's all I got. I felt like I was going to add something more, but I think it might have been gas. You're not alone, and thanks for listening.